The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now, Davina Montgomery, good morning. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I spoke to someone yesterday who said, are you still talking about COVID on your program or do you try and talk about other things because we're all sick of talking about it? But I said, I think the problem is uh, these restrictions and the way that we're handling the pandemic directly impacts each and every one of our lives every single day. So everyone's very keen to know what are the numbers, what are the likely outcomes to restriction changes on the weekends, etc. And um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are given where we are uh, now in Victoria, we've had, uh, what, 92 new cases yesterday, a slight reduction on that today, which uh, I suppose you can't really take too much into what happens in one day, but it maybe gives us some hope. But um, the Premier said the restrictions that we're living under now will extend beyond Thursday. If it is going to be a case where it's going to be a longer term lockdown, should they be perhaps a little bit more upfront about that and let us plan in advance or should we just keep taking it sort of one week at a time? Yeah, it's it's a really difficult one, Mitch, and um, I, I I agree with the sentiment, uh, going back to what you initially said, that conversation you had on the weekend, I agree with the sentiment that says, look, we're, we're sort of getting to, there is a saturation level, I'm absolutely sure of it, um, and I think in a lot of ways we have more than reached our saturation level of COVID news, but you're exactly right, we are in a day-by-day situation, and in some cases in an hour-by-hour, I mean, I think we all remember when this this lockdown six started, it was literally a case of hours. Um, and I know I was sitting there planning something on the Friday, doing a piece of work for something that was happening on Monday that was going to be an online event. Um, but even in the way that we had to produce that event changed hour by hour across the day as the news started rolling in. And then we had to you know, redo all of those plans for the Monday so that we could still have that event going out. It was a vote count actually for, um, for football. So being able to deliver those sort of things still in this changing environment shows you that it just does it just does affect us hour by hour and of course you know kids at school people trying to do work from home people who can't work because of the restrictions it just does we can't see family we can't see friends we're limited in what we can do so these things do affect us absolutely um yeah, I think it's it's becoming that point, isn't it? I mean, we're certainly getting that sense now. It, there's a very strong message that's coming through from all levels of government that we are entering a phase now that we've got that vaccine starting to ramp up, that we are entering a phase of looking at when we start to live with this virus um, and what that will mean, I think, is really important. But I... It, to your, to your direct question, absolutely, I do think we, we start to have to have some conversations that deliver some certainty um, and while that's incredibly difficult and, and I certainly would not want to be, you know, Daniel Andrews or Jerome Weimar or Brett Sutton or, you know, any of these people or the, or the variations of them in other states um, because they're trying to make decisions with an awful lot of uncertainty around them as well. Of course, they don't have all the answers. They only have the information that's in front of them. But as a, you know, as people, as a community, we need to start having some sense of certainty. And even if it is, uh, okay, it's not going to be this day, our next target date is this one. And then if we come out earlier, as we did last time, remember we had Region Victoria came out, I think it surprised all of us when we came out, yes. actually, that we didn't expect to come yeah, out, but that was okay. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, pretty targeted links, I think, we've got happening at the moment. But, yeah, um, for those of us in the media industry, we go, yep, yep, someone's leaked that out quite deliberately. That's what we call a soft launch. Excellent. Um, 
Yeah, I think that we can deal with that. It's knowing, it's not knowing that makes it incredibly hard. And even if it is just small plans, you know, they might change, sure. But if we can get to that sort of idea of being able to go, okay, well, we think that by the end of next week, we're going to be in this place. If we're better, then that's great. Um, if it's worse, then we'll have to reassess in the leading in the days leading up to that. But we're also well aware of what the numbers and the mystery cases and the linkages and all of those things. We actually know that now. We can all kind of, we're in that same space. I mean, we're all turning into little epidemiologists, aren't we? We can, we're almost predicting what's going to happen with the lockdown and we're all, the conversations are having, I'm sure you're having them too, Mitch, is, oh, we've had 73 cases today, what, 21 of them unlinked? Yeah, that's really too many. Um, we're, we're not going anywhere out of lockdown at the moment. But if we could add to that, okay, but they're going to reassess on uh, next Tuesday or next Thursday or whatever that is, it gives us something to look forward to. And we all need things to look forward to. It doesn't necessarily need to be big things, but we do need it. Um, it's the reason why we plan holidays. It's the reason why we plan events with our families and friends is that it's just part of the way we live and, and not being able to plan anything and not being able to have those things to look forward to, I think is really starting to take a pretty severe toll. Um, so we need to start looking at that. Do you remember last year when the Premier had that sort of roadmap out of lockdown, mostly for metropolitan Melbourne, but also a little bit for us, and they had the different trigger points. So if you had um, a seven-day rolling average of five or less mystery cases per day, then this was going to happen. I think that document got revised so many times that it almost became redundant. But um, do we need to bring back something like that so there's a bit more of a plan, particularly for things like schools that are trying to work out uh, assessments and so on? Yeah, absolutely. I really do, Mitch. Um, I, I had an interesting, I've had an interesting sort of case study over the past few weeks. So a lot of the work that I do these days is in the sporting industry. And at the moment, obviously it's football, it's football season. So that's uh, taking up a lot of our focus and watching the way that different leagues have been trying to negotiate these uncertainties has been really interesting. And of course, we've, you know, there are, there are some leagues that just went, look, we'll just, make these decisions as they come to us. Um, there are some that have had a very clear roadmap about this is this step on this date and if we get to this date, then this happens and this is what happens. You know, this is the outcome if we get to this date and and probably every iteration in between, to be perfectly honest. The ones that have had that really clear roadmap, um, judging by the feedback from clubs and social media comments and things like that, you can actually see that people appreciate that certainty and they're really thankful for that. As much as it, they're frustrated by the situation, you know, it's not what anyone wants. It's certainly not what anyone wants when they're, you know, sporting obsessed and <laughs> looking to see if their team's going to get into their finals or their kids are going to be able to play finals, things like that. Um, you know, there's there's layers of disappointment in that. But at the same time, that level of certainty really, it kind of gives people a sense of agency. And I there was a really interesting article um, it was interesting to me, not for the actual content of the article, but it was talking to um, Don Scott and it was obviously good mate of Sam Newman. Yes. And I was, the, the, the headline of the article said words to the effect of, um, I've got absolutely no control over this. And the sense of anger and frustration that was under it, and I've been thinking about it, been ticking around in my brain, just going that there is that, you know, you see it in people. I'm certainly seeing it in um, my parents' generation particularly, that there's this real, you know, it's almost rage, like it's real genuinely gut anger about the situation. And as each lockdown hits 
And when I read that article, there was like that little light bulb moment that went, oh my God, that's the, that's the problem, is that for people who've always felt like they need to have a sense of control over their lives, all of a sudden they have no control and that's triggering that, you know, that really heavy emotional response. And that's, you know, you, you, we never discount anyone's response to anything. Feelings are feelings. You need to, you know, we need to acknowledge them openly um, and allow them to be expressed. But, you know, then we need to be able to put it into perspective. So it's, that was really interesting to me because I went, oh, so that's that, that's that feeling of being out of control um, I don't know, maybe as a, as a nineties kid coming through the re- coming through that recession that we had to have where literally you didn't have control over anything. You didn't have any choices. You just kind of had to find your way through. Um, maybe I'd sort of wonder whether that's why I think myself and family and friends at, at my age, we didn't have that same sense of, of something being so much taken away from us. Um, so it's interesting, but I do think that if we can give people back a sense of control, if you can put them back on the path of going, you actually kind of, you have a sense of, you know, what's going to come in front of you, then that's going to really help. And, you know, we had some tragic news um, in over the past week with a, a student from St. Joseph's, a, you know, a local teenager that had died by suicide. Mm. And um, it's devastating always. And suicide, mental health are always very complex. It's never one thing. So I, I, you know, would really hope that people aren't just thinking that this is all about uh, a lockdown because we know that that's not true. These things do happen, unfortunately, and horrifically all the way through. But that I do feel like that sense of loss of control for people is really starting to hammer home now and it's starting to have a really detrimental impact. So that's where I think that we do need to be looking at looking at our, um, you know, the people that are making these decisions in the health department, in the government, and say, all right, I, I know that they've been balancing the risk and the whole time, but that sense of certainty, that sense of uh, small pieces of control, you've got to really put a focus on that now because it's starting to bite. Yeah, this is a tough time and there is that sense of losing control because I think a lot of people, most people try and do the right thing in their everyday lives, but then they're watching the case numbers still go up, which is frustrating. It's something they don't have any control over. Uh, we should get in there, of course, if you or anyone you know is experiencing any of those issues, um, please call Lifeline 13 11 14. And I've heard that their uh, calls have been pretty overwhelming over the last few days. And a lot of volunteers... Uh, are on that line and uh, they're working pretty flat chat as well. Yeah, and Headspace, Beyond Blue, um, schools have been fantastic at sending out lists of of, lists of um, helplines and not just for not just for people who are experiencing it about having that conversation with your kids around um, it depends, you know, age appropriate of course, but having that conversation around everyone needs help, parents need help, these resources are there for parents who are struggling you know, it's a lot to manage with kids doing remote learning and them trying to work or manage, you know, the, the financial impacts and the stress that comes with not working. Um, there's just an awful lot of people that need help and, you know, it's it's an absolute flat-out truth that there is not a single person in the world that never needs any help. We all of us at some point need help and the better we are at reaching out and the better we are that reading those cues from people. So having those conversations with your kids and with your friends and with each other about how are you going. Um, if you, you or someone that you know needs some help, then the strongest, the bravest, um, the most courageous thing that you can do is to reach out and 
they're up, there are arms there ready to catch you and ready to help because we absolutely all do need that help. I see on the AGE website that we've passed 950 exposure sites in Victoria, which, uh, I mean, you can't reopen with that number of exposure sites because you can just imagine the number of close contacts (laughs) that uh, the contact tracers would be working through. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about how we're dealing with it here in comparison to New South Wales, because I believe I read that in New South Wales they've stopped reporting exposure sites now unless they're uh, extremely urgent or pose an unusually high risk. Yeah, and the mystery cases. Um, they, they've stopped reporting them because they're out of control. That's, that's the simple answer to that is that they, there is no way for contact tracing to manage that. I mean, I, I have seen the figure. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Sorry, Mitch, but there is a, there is a number basically that it means that contact tracers get at saturation point. And when we talk about the, um, the R value, the reproduction rate of this virus and how fast it can spread, and particularly spreading in people who are asymptomatic so that aren't showing any symptoms in the first couple of days, they're actually, they've got the virus then, they're spreading it then, they're out in the community, they get symptoms, they get tested, that's when they know that they've got the virus but they've already spread it. Um, it went from, you know, one or two to effectively, I think the global consensus on Delta is like five or six people. It could even be higher. So that's a lot. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's five to six times the amount of people for every person that um, that has a virus that they come into contact with and you go, oh my God, that's a lot. That's an awful lot because you're expanding into three rings. So it's, it's you know, it's the people that they've come into contact with and then the ones that they've come into contact with and then the ones they've come into contact with. But New South Wales contact tracing, it's not, a, it's not a failure of the system, it's a failure of the numbers. There is absolutely no way that they could control this. So I think they've had to throw their hands up and just say, look, we need to focus on what we can control. We keep, well, I feel like I'm saying control <laughs> this morning, yeah. Mitch. And I can tell you I don't feel a lot in control most <laughs> of the time. Um, but yeah, I, they can't manage that now. And we are realistically now looking at the case where Definitely in New South Wales, they're not getting back to zero. That's not happening. Um, it's it's possible in Victoria, but becoming increasingly unlikely. It feels like there might still be some bubbling along. Um, and we're probably going to get to that point where where does the vaccination numbers meet the, the case numbers and where do we go, okay, well, now we're kind of at that stage where we're going to get it. And that there's a couple of things in that. I guess one is... Um, I'm not, I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of vaccination numbers being 60 to 70% of adults when we're claiming adults as people over 18 or over 16, um, because we're missing out a couple of billion people and they're our kids. And we, we, we do know that the risk to children is a lot lower. Um, but we also are starting to see the impacts of long COVID. So lung damage, neurological damage, um, symptoms of, um, autoimmune disease, you know, brain fog, physical damage that's coming to, to kids and teenagers who've experienced long COVID. So like really athletic kids who are incredibly fit and very healthy, finding that they can't climb a, a flight of steps or they can't walk for more than a couple of minutes. Um, I don't know how much appetite we've got in the community to accept that. I really don't. I, I, you know, Aussies, we react when there's kids. It's the reason why we have huge things like the, you know, the Royal Children's Hospital appeal and why we get that huge response from people. We have it down here in Geelong when there was fundraising around the paediatric ward. Um, we don't like it when our kids aren't well and we feel like we should be able to protect them better than what we are. I mean, I think we're certainly in that space, in the mental health space. Mm. Um, and we're so lucky to have 
um, Jason Tatoan and the team at Headspace or teams at Headspace and the incredible work that they do with kids and, and multiple other agencies and organisations that are really putting their arms around our kids at the moment. Um, I just can't see it. I can't see us going, oh, okay, well, adults aren't getting it, you know, but tough luck for the kids because, you know, my, my dad had TB as a kid and I saw that, you know, he used to get sent in for six-monthly x-rays um, until I figured out that the x-rays was probably more damaging than the potential risks of the scarring on his lungs from TB. Um, but the, the fact is he was a kid and he had scarring on his lungs from TB. And I just can't see us accepting that in the same way, not en masse, um, and I don't think in, these, in social media days, in the news cycle days, that we would accept a lot of it. So... I don't. I think that they've misread a bit of that. Um, at the same time, we do know that the vaccination numbers are flying up now. We just need the supply. So as much supply as we can get, I've had no doubt it will get into arms really quickly. We're seeing a huge boost now with, of course, 16 to 39-year-olds being coming online to be able to be vaccinated. And I think we're, you know, very close to having the full population of 12 to 15-year-olds being eligible for a vaccine as well. Um, so that will certainly make life easier for that mm. cohort of, of secondary students. Um, but we also see huge numbers of, for what well, we think is huge numbers, but there's there's huge numbers comparatively of kids with COVID in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Victoria, in New South Wales right now. And it's spreading in primary school age kids. And just on your point in relation to vaccinating the children, I think a lot of people have got this idea that we'll get to 80% in November, but if you have to vaccinate the children as well, that'll put that date back, won't it? It does. It does. Um, I think the rate, though, the rate of vaccination is one of the really interesting things because, you know, we, we talked at the start of the year when, when the vaccines were starting to roll out, you know, that it would have this big ramp up in the, the fourth quarter of the year. Um, we're starting to, you know, we're close. We can almost touch that, that fourth quarter of the year now. We are seeing the vaccination numbers roll quickly. We haven't got supplies of Moderna into Australia yet, but they're not far away. Um, and I think I read on the weekend that they'll be for the under 60s. So, and Pfizer will be the preferred vaccine for um, for the 12 to 15 year olds. And, and certainly that's been the case around the world. Um, it already is for the 16 to 39 cohort. And there's a lot of work now being done overseas on young children um, in the same way that it was, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, we went through that stage where we didn't vaccinate kids from the flu because there was one one round of flu vaccine that had some, you know, very serious um, consequences for and some very serious side effects and a couple of kids actually uh, tragically died from having that flu vaccine very early. And that was a problem with that particular vaccine. It wasn't the all of the flu vaccine, but what it did is it stopped a lot of people vaccinating their kids and when I first when my kids were young I couldn't vaccinate them because of that I have them vaccinated for the flu um but I've got a son who's asthmatic he's had three you know three long bouts of hospitalization through asthma that's caused by the cold virus coronavirus is a cold virus mm. um so you know we've had we've been through these phases before where it's kind of been oh we sort of stopped doing it and then we did meningococcal is another example of childhood vaccine that we've done um, that's come at, you know, because we saw kids getting sick, all of a sudden there was this huge ramp on meningococcal vaccine. The good thing about vaccinating kids and teenagers, though, is that we've actually got really incredibly efficient and well-established systems in place to do that. So there is the GPs, which have been very effective in ramping up 
the vaccines in New South Wales, helped, of course, by having a monster supply versus the rest of us. So we'd quite like that to be addressed as well, please. Um, but we, and we also have vaccination in school programs. So between those two things, we already know how to do this. We already get vaccinated for the flu in huge numbers every year. The vast majority of our kids go through the childhood immunisation program. Um, it is the single biggest reason why longevity has increased in Australia while child mortality has dropped um, significantly. And while we generally have a much healthier childhood population than what we have ever had before, and certainly compared to the rest of the world, Australia leads in childhood immunisation. We're really, really good at this. So I don't have any doubts that we can actually ramp that up really quickly. It certainly won't be as slow as it was months ago. Um, and I think we saw a lot of that with, you know, again, it was that age. With, it was an age group of, of 60 plus, 70 plus that were really slow in getting their vaccines. And then as soon as they opened it up to, you know, 50 sort of or under 59 and down, it went gangbusters and it was really hard for people to get appointments, which is great because that means that there's that real appetite for doing it. And we're very close to it being a, a case of not in isolation for people who haven't had a vaccine and certainly recognising that not everyone can. Um, but it's going to be, you know, life's going to be uncomfortable for people who don't have a vaccine. In the same way that there was the no jab, no play policy, it's kind of now we're all going to be no jab, no play. So if you want to go to the footy, if you want to get on a plane, if you want to be able to go to um, a big arts event or a big concert, you will have to have a vaccine or a proof of a negative COVID test. And just in terms of that November timeline, I saw that Qantas put out a bit of a timeline for when they'd like to see international <laughs> flights resume. And I think that was on the basis of things returning to some normality from November. I mean, I think they were banking on a lot of things going right with that plan, weren't they? And yeah. Perhaps a little bit too optimistic. Um, I, it was funny. I had someone say to me on on Friday, late Friday, after that that news broke, and, and they they sort of said, "Oh, I'm not getting on a plane for a very long time." <laughs> <laughs> I think there's probably a bit of that. I think I'm about to have to cancel some of our holiday plans that we've we've rebooked a few times, and I don't think we're going to make these ones either. So um, that is what it is. It's you know you just deal with it. But it seems pretty optimistic. Are you going to get on an international flight at the moment, Mitch? Well, absolutely not. And I still get uh, all these emails from, you know, the online travel companies saying go to this location and go to the Maldives and go to America and, you, you know, can't book even get now. out of Australia at the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you'd be pretty bold to be booking a, a trip international at the moment because I just hate to be in that situation where people are struggling to get a refund and can't, you know, the, the refund issue has been a big one. So I'm not going to be booking until I'm 100% certain that I can actually go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, the, the airlines have been pretty good. I must admit, obviously, because we have holidays booked and we, we are going to have to change them. I did have a good look at it. Um, and I, and I looked at it before we booked the flights, but it basically the, the standard ruling across the Australian airlines is that if your flight is impacted by, um, either a lockdown that prevents you from going or, uh, interstate quarantine rules so that if you would have to go into quarantine for two weeks, for instance, um, that they will offer you either the refund or the value back of your flights. Um, I'm pretty happy to take the value back of our flights. I hope that we'll be able to get, you know, some time, maybe next year, uh, to be able to go and, and see a little bit more of the country. But I'm, I'm also, you know, and I'm sort of happy to leave that money in the in the system. We're fortunate enough that we can. We'd already paid for it anyway. Money gone. So I'm happy to leave it in there and take the value of it at another time if we can. 
um, we're one of those people that would probably lose, we'll probably lose a bit on accommodation. But again, mm. you know, accommodation in, we were going up to see friends in Queensland um, and they've been smashed. The holiday industry up there has been absolutely smashed. So again, if, if we have a bit of a hit and, but that bit of a hit to us means that they get to survive and maybe, <laughs> maybe other friends that we ever go with someone else up there, then I'm okay with that too. But, you know, that's not everyone's in the same situation. Um, but yeah, I think we're, I think most people at the moment are just like, look, if you can go away, lovely. If you can't, that's fine too. There's lots of beautiful parts of Victoria. And I think that we're going to be seeing a bit of them once we get, you know, the chance to get out again. Um, I think regional Victoria is going to go, is going to be experience a huge amount of, of domestic in this intrastate travel where we just go, oh, well, I can't get out anywhere. So I'm going to go to Phillip Island or I'm going to go to Gippie or I'm going to head down to Halls Gap or Warrnambool or up to the Murray, you know. Yeah, that's my thinking. It's just people are talking so much about, oh, will state borders be open and what about international flights? Uh, let's try and get more than 5K from our home first, I think, yeah. because there's plenty. <laughs> I'd be more than happy to just go around Victoria. There's so many things I'd love to go and see, but we can't do it at the moment. Let's maybe start with that first and then yeah. progress to talking about interstate travel and then move from that to going international. I think that's exactly what it's going to be, Mitch. Um, and, you know, it's it's always that finding those little upsides. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe it is just <laughs> lockdown fatigue, but I've found I've been quite a lot more optimistic during this one and just sort of going, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. We're getting through it. The light at the end of the tunnel is coming and, and you know, we're going to be able to have a different year ahead, I hope, next year than what we had this year um, and certainly for the year after that. So, we, we are going to be okay, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, I tell you what, you know, has there ever been a better time to see Victoria once we can because we don't have huge numbers of international travel, because mm. we don't have, you know, lots of us, a lot of us are sitting there going, well, I haven't been on holidays for a year and a half. Um, I've got a bit of a bank that I was going to spend on on those holidays. So let's go and do something fun. Go and get those, you know, go and get your Adventure Park membership and, you know, jump on the big four site and see where you can go and take the kids and the dog and, and whatever it is, however you like to holiday. Uh, I think we're all going to be doing it. And you know what? It's actually really fun. <laughs> I'd forgotten how, how hugely fun it was. And we had a, a short break uh, down to Halls Gap, not dissimilar time, a little bit later, I think November last year, when we had that break out of the big lockdown. Yes. Um, and it was when regional Victoria was released, but Melbourne wasn't. And they, it was last minute booking. Obviously, that had lots of cancellations from Melbourne, but... Um, you know, it filled up quite quickly and we were speaking to the accommodation owners and the restaurateurs and pubs and all that sort of thing down there and people said, yeah, they said it was, you know, it was like we, we cancelled bookings all week but then the next lot just rolled in and people just jumped on and said, you know what, we'd, we'd love to come down and we'd love to have a trip there. And it was fantastic because we got down there and literally went, oh, I saw a lady that works at the supermarket down the road and um, and everyone was chatting to everyone else about where they came from in the state and there was this genuine sense of camaraderie that you just don't get normally when you're on holiday. So it was actually really lovely. Yeah, let's hope we can go back to that. Look, thanks so much for being on the program. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. And as always, hopefully that's a time when there's slightly better news than what we have today. I know, Mitch. I'm really hopeful that when the next time that we chat that we're going to be either stepping out of or have stepped out of um, at least some of these restrictions. Kids back at school and being able mm. to do a few bits and pieces, a little bit of community sport on the little things. We're getting pretty good at looking forward to the little things now, aren't we? Certainly are. Thank you very much, Davina Montgomery there with uh, some of the issues of the day, finishing perhaps on a little bit of optimism there. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. 
Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's front page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.